Do you think that the Conservative Party as a body prioritises free market economics above uh, the duty that a governing party should have towards national identity and sovereignty? I, I personally believe that the Conservative Party at the moment doesn't make a very good job in expressing uh, issues other than the market, definitely. I think all of its values, the kind of messages it gives across, derive itself really from an idea that the market, at a, especially at an international level, should be pretty open and um, I guess the balance between small to medium-sized businesses and larger businesses, I think it, it it always puts a lot of emphasis on ha- on keeping big business on side rather than focusing on creating an economy that's strong from the bottom up. Um, mm. Because actually, I, I would argue that uh, local the local economy is is inherently conservative because it's very community-based. It's very much in your it's it's your local society. It actually creates mutual mutually strong relationships between members of the community while an international market an international business because it doesn't have much of a social contract with its consumers or its employees which um which might be in in two different countries in an international market it it actually erodes the kind of social trust and social cohesion that a conservative society should be prospering in or encouraging i mean I, i certainly feel that like if you go to a strong percentage of a lot of MPs uh, on the Conservative benches with a problem, their first gut reaction is, is essentially to say, well, leave it to the free market to decide. Um, and I mean, rightly or wrongly, I think people want to have a bit more sort of security uh, in that answer. And I think a lot of people actually wouldn't actually... Uh, it sounds cruel, but I, I don't think that they would fully understand what leaving it to the free market and just, yes, it's a risk, but they also wouldn't understand the risks involved, but also the possible benefits um, that, that a free market society would give. But also that if you do leave it to the free market society, there can be variables uh, as a result of that, for example, foreign investment. And that wouldn't mean that necessarily uh, British interest would be put first um, as a result of that. Well, I think that I, I agree. I think I think immigration is actually a really good case study, kind of out of the conflicts between the market and the nation. So, immigration really is actually a really really good mechanism for big international businesses to get uh, more and more in the workforce. It increases the amount of consumers in your society. Uh, it, it, it it gives the you uh, the employer a lot more. Uh, choices in terms of the marketplace, in terms of uh, kind of the employers that you can choose from. It creates competitiveness in the in the workforce, uh, and generally, it does add to the economy's general GDP. Not GDP per capita, but GDP adds to the size. And we live in a society where GDP is kind of the most important uh, statistical factor in the economy, uh, or just generally in politics, I would say. Um, while it it also creates great social cons- um, uh, um, problems as well because societies feel like they change too quickly. So even though you have this kind of great economic success, you also have this kind of social drag where people feel that they are, they feel kind of that um, the community is changing around them. They don't feel that they're in a cohesive community anymore. There isn't a similar sense of values 
um, and cultural um, uh, uh, cultural um, ex- um, kind of expectations as before. And I think that's a really good example: is that society as or, or a nation has to balance between. Yes, we need to have. We want to ensure that we have an economically prosperous society, and that is giving, you know, making sure that we're internationally competitive, that we have a good workforce, etc. But also that a nation is nothing if it doesn't have a, a common set of values and principles, which, on top of that, rests social cohesion. So people feel that they're in, in a community or in a society that they like. And I think people generally in politics at the moment, because we live in such anti anti national times where everything is seen as international is best and openness and liberalness um your know, liberality is the best we um we generally disregard the important things that a society needs to function and i think mm. at the moment politics is very much in one camp it's very international corporate you know things like the eu have been created for these kind of international corporate bodies but nothing's really done in the local and i think that's the market is a good example of that um it's too it's too international and and too little it's too little local i take a slightly different approach to a lot of this i think since the the thatcher days it's become one of the few remaining grounds of conservative politics or principle that is even allowed to be aired um these days is is all about the economics it's a dangerous ground for most right-wingers to step into anything social um, these days because of the breadth of opinion that exists on the right around a lot of this stuff. And I think Thatcher really encapsulated a lot of this. I think, although she probably would have got round to more social policy, there was so much economic work for her to do. She found this um, this niche for the Conservative Party and conservatism in general uh, by focusing on the money. And I think since then we've had this erosion of... Uh, national interest, national identity, and even sovereignty, really, to a certain degree. It wasn't until many years later where Thatcher herself realised the dangers that things like the European Union posed to Britain's national identity. Um, I think one of the one of the big problems of capitalism that doesn't really get spoken about um, is the the damage that that it does in the modern day through its globalist guise. Uh, is done to sort of ordinary people. I mean, it, we we say that small business is the backbone of our economy, um, and as has been mentioned, you know these small businesses are very community based. You know, they're not um, they're not this sort of naked profiteering that we've imported from mm. the US over the last seventy years. Because yeah. um, in small business, reputation is everything. Whereas if you're sort of US based or or you know, even further afield, you can do your, you can set up your business knowing full well that actually, if it doesn't go so well, you've still got the collateral of knowing that you're actually a national, uh, multinational organisation. So you can sort of see the care element removed, just bringing it onto an international field. I agree, and I think that um, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of small business owners, and even actually, I think for very large national businesses. Um, where you see international companies come in, it's literally a process of money extraction. Um, whereas when you see large companies owned exclusively by uh, by British investors and shareholders, <laughs> uh, Philip Green withstanding, you actually see a lot more care 
in how they run their businesses. They want it to benefit the people. They want it to benefit the society far more than your mm-hmm. your Amazons and your Googles and these very big conglomerates, which really are all about the cash extraction. There is less of that now, but it's one of the things I think that we've lost the most. And I think this is there's nothing. This isn't a particular criticism of, of capitalism, but I do think it's a criticism of this sort of American style corporatism, because we used to have lots and lots of industrialized. Uh, cities, sorry, what I mean by that is lots of cities in the UK that uh, had very heavy industry, um, but even even some service-based stuff where the companies were looking after uh, the employees, you know, before the National Health existed, uh, they were supplying dentists and doctors, you know, they were supplying theatres and, and pubs, they were setting up lots of housing nearby so workers didn't mm. have to travel far, and it was it was sort of it wasn't even like a Rousseauian social con, uh, you know, contract thing. It really was just capitalism at work. It was just like let's all benefit, let's all prosper, and the the top of the the rung benefited disproportionately from the bottom. But what what made it beneficial was everyone could feel they were being <clears throat> lifted constantly. Everyone was doing better than they were previously, and. People don't moan when that scenario is happening. It's a large part of why China is putting up with its communist government. It's because they have allowed this capitalist economics in, and everyone is being lifted up with it, not at the same rate. But we've lost a lot of that now. We're now mm. very reliant on the, st- in, on the state filling in the gaps uh, where we've had this yeah. crony capitalism and globalism and corporatism come in. Um, and we're sort of more reliant, even the Conservative Party themselves are more reliant on this sort of social democracy to sort of build state institutions to sort of patchwork the failures of of the current flavour of capitalism we have I've actually never thought of it that way before (laughs) you have red-pilled me sir (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's, it's, it's funny that since the creation of the welfare state that actually jobs have rolled back what they provide to their employees. Hmm. Which the companies and the workers have to pay so much so much more taxation now. And, you know, the, too many... And they have to many, pay for, yeah, on, on top of taxation. Yeah, and too many, too, many, um, too many big employers now, within the United Kingdom at least, are foreign-owned. Um, and... You know, when it's when it's big foreign investors, when it's big foreign hedge funds, uh, big foreign venture capitalists, etc. Um, you know, they they only care about the money, right? They they want people to, mm. you know, they they care about staff retention in as far as staff retention will decrease the cost of the business because they won't have to worry about recruiting or decrease output. But there's no genuine yes. care or love for for the society or the community. A lot of that's eroding. And what's worse is I feel like that principle of things is um, in in a a post-Thatcher, post-Blair era, is imprinting itself on businesses large and small, that that's what it means to be capitalist and that's what it means to run a business. And Mm. I I think in part this is why you see a lot of left-wingers going, oh, socialism's the answer, because... You know, a lot of the, a lot of that style of thinking is coming from very young people, and they've never known anything but this style of like brutalized capitalism. They only know of the sort of capitalism that led to the two thousand and eight banking crisis, where that sort of complete disregard for community and that complete unfettered greed 
Um, you know, that, that, that's all they've known and the damage that that's caused. That's their current view. Mm. But it's an interesting yeah. observation to make, and it especially feeds into why a lot of big businesses are backing the Remain and sort of the people's right. vote and, and anything to try and overturn it. Because for them, essentially, they can they can set up in the UK or in Europe, trade, make money, but they don't necessarily have to care about the workforce because they can they can have them emigrate from any point in the EU. So it doesn't matter about say exactly. the the local the local lad who went to the polytechnic college um that that needs employment when they can just bring over a workforce that will work for sometimes below the minimum wage um which again yep. is very good for the business um and they don't need to invest in the skills and the training mm. yeah i think it's the it's the major conflict of our times because mobility of capital and people is getting easier and easier and you're seeing larger and larger attempts of creating a state like the european union where it is about you know um set regulations which only a very rich international business with strong uh networks could influence policy on you know there it, it you know big big um you know, big business much prefers centralized states which they can lobby effectively um, and that is why we have political parties which are so entrenched in that kind of uh, that way of doing things, that ideology. Um, they they really want um, that they, they have to create these, they have to formulate these policies because it's just the nature of the economy now is that it has become so internationalist in its mindset. Yeah, I, I, the the lobbying point is a really good is a really good point actually. The one of the uh, deeply advantageous. Uh, set-up points of the European Union from uh, an international uh, corporate point of view is that the EU commissioners, of course, are, are non-elected and they're not answerable to mm. anyone in terms of any democracy, any any populace. Um, EU commissioners are actually the most lobbied individuals on the planet, uh, more so yep. than US state senators. Um, it's It's absolutely fascinating. You know, they... There are a whole heap of rules within the European Union. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the classic one with the, the sugar in the UK about how um, sugar can only come from sugar beets or something like that. And it, 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 it protects German consumers, but it harms, it harms some of the British consumers, which use different, different products as their raw ingredient. Um, just an example of the sort of, ironically, not free market capitalism, right? It's a form of... It's a form of protectionism, but not for an economy, not you know, not like a Donald Trump-style economic protection, at least as he sees it. Um, but it's, it's it's a protectionism for certain individual businesses. Mm. But it's not done for the the premise that identity um, or national duty comes first. It's merely just the product that you are selling uh, comes first and foremost. Yes, I mean it's it's. It's sort of doing away on the sly with the free market, um, whilst <laughs> you know it's 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 not capitalism that's happening right now. Um, mm -hmm. At least not the sort of free market capitalism we keep advocating <clears throat> for. It's actually a different form of protectionism. Um, I'm going to suggest something even more controversial: is that even if it is capitalism working correctly. You know, quotation mark correctly. Quotation mark. Um, actually, capitalism inherently, even if it is working correctly, can create a um, can be a threat 
to things that a nation needs to succeed and to be prosperous. For example, national institutions, um, whether it's culture, cultural events. An example of this would be how culture has become so popular now it's become so devalued it's no longer about high culture you know the bbc was set up for example to uh, proliferate high culture it's amazing to think with the trash that's on on the bbc now um and you look at things like um love island for example which is lowest denominator crap the problem is it is popular and people like it and this is the problem with the market is that it actually incentivizes people to like crap because they like it. <laughs> um, and that's mm. a, a really deep philosophical question. But it, one of the inherent problems with the market is that it, it, it actually gives people what they want. And that is not necessarily the prerequisites of a successful and prosperous and healthy society. No. No one who have a society that tells people what they should and ought to want. Um, and that's very much sort of how our society is being driven now. I mean, it's like, example, you know, for example, if you were to go and see a film uh, that has a lot of hype and uh, and you eventually go to, to see it because the TV and the radio, it all tells you that it's really good. You go and see it and it's actually really just mundane um, and awful, really. But the fact that you're participating in something that society via sort of the economy is telling that you should like it's more participating in that that i think is the front and foremost rather than actually enjoying and participating in something that you do actually genuinely enjoy participating in yes yeah i i actually don't have a a very big problem with this sort of stuff to be honest with you like as far back as the no as far back as the 17th century we you know we've been selling total rubbish to people it's always been a great economic benefit to sell total rubbish to people like things like you know the sort of degeneration you see in the media is is uh, is problematic only because of not because of its capitalist credentials but because of its erosion on the culture um i mean if a communist or fascist state was so inclined to do so they could you know, they could propagandize people in exactly the same way with exactly the same effect, as in fact you saw with the USSR. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that's an inherent problem in capitalism. For the longest time, um, for the you know, for the longest time, although there was no TV or even radio, you know, the trash books existed like you wouldn't believe. You know, like <laughs> mm. you know, they over time they all get forgotten about, and only the best. Uh, continue to get reprinted um but what 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 england specifically used to have was this capitalism nested in a in a sort of highly honored culture you know a culture that we all used to have respect for and one that was seen to be you know it was that old aristocratic view of oh we don't want to talk about grubby money you know money is a vulgar subject you know that's 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 for sort of lowborns to discuss you know we had this this notion in in england that you could be a lawyer or a doctor and you could be respected but you were still a money earner and it would only get you so far and and you know, it's not to attack an individual with that, but it is to say you can get so far in society with money, but actually there's something higher that will propel you into the very upper echelons. It never used to be money was the top dog. And now we like in the in, in the United States, 
they they say like people like Katy Perry and Snoop Dogg are upper class <laughs> because they're rich. <laughs> Right, but they genuinely do. This is the language they mm. use there, just because they're rich. Class in the US simply means money. Um, and it, it until very recently, it never has here. And I notice even people starting to change how they use the term middle class particularly is largely about, uh, largely about money. So for me, where I see the, the, the problem within the capitalism is we've lost the the nested culture around it which has held capitalism back from some of its excesses mm-hmm. we've lost those voices that you're talking about of the aristocracy um and we don't have that anymore at the minute i think you're right we we do have the sort of money well money is the currency but money is is the be all um and end all but what we have now that we didn't have before is the state that says that if you do make a mistake or if you do not have personal responsibility for yourself then that's okay uh, because the state will support you uh, I, I, I think that's quite right but what that what that does is that degrades people's uh, emphasis on, on how much they should be putting onto personal freedom um, and, and just responsibility for their own actions and that's that's the real difference that we have now than as 100 years ago, 200 years ago when we did sort of have an aristocracy that was the guiding light above money as the, as the prime driver in our society. I think the, the main cause of this is that we have um, ever since the Second World War fully swallowed the American uh, myth or um, idea that with democracy, basically that democracy and capitalism go hand in hand, which is absolutely untrue. Yes. But we, uh, uh, th- th- what's happened is America has exported this imperial idea that by having a successful democracy and a co- um, and free market economy or capitalist society, that is the way to prosperity. And in fact, as um, as Wellington uh, very very succinctly said, in fact that's never been the case. Free markets have just been what Roger Scruton explains it as uh, a priori fact. You need it to have an economy because humans just want to sell things, buy things, create things. We want to, you know, we want to trade things. We want to create things. All these things we need to do them, but it should never be the thing that dictates how a society sees itself or dictate its morality or its culture. Because actually, what you see, and it's it's it is all over history, is that actually societies always get into a conflict of what is kind of the absolute ideals that we should seek after you know whether it's a religion or some sort of kind of chivalric ideals um that in contrast to is it literally what the mob wants is it stuff like gladiatorial games is it things like love island you know because these things get created because there is a desire for them and this is the problem with the market is that it creates this distortion it's not actually what people want themselves individually you know in kind of a vacuum they are fed these ideas because they get the ins- they get the idea that something is popular is mainstream is widely accepted as something you should watch or see or buy and they go and do it and the market creates these distortions in society which means that society actually goes down a path that a lot of people don't want it to go down to uh, down um, at all but it's only it's, it's this illusion that things can be done things should be done just because the majority of other people are doing it um, and this is, it's really worrying for society because just like you buy and sell goods in a marketplace, your ideas and your morality are purely things you buy and sell in the marketplace. And it's purely something that you, 
you um, you espouse because a majority of other people do it, and it creates fickle humans who only have only stick to their ideals if they always get this kind of assurances from the response of other people. They never stand up for something. They never stand up for something if they, because they truly believe it to be right. They they stand up for something purely because they want to be acknowledged as being right. Yeah, I, I actually think this is uh, one the, the main thing that separates our generation from our grandparents and great grandparents. Um, I think that it's it's the biggest hangover left over from the Cold War. This sort of this particular brand of rabid consumerism was hyped up intentionally by the United States during the Cold War, and we, it, it's the hangover that's been left. Uh, that's been left from it you know there is this with this moral vacuum comes this sort of what do I do how do I prosper in this society you know how do I climb the social ladder how do I appear better in the hierarchies I don't believe in because I'm trying to destroy capitalism on my iPhone type rubbish and and actually you know the markets are just advertising their way you know through the populace you know, they're not doing anything inherently evil. They're just attempting to earn money. But I think before the war, people had um, enough of a, uh, a, a, consensus, a consensus of moral base that they didn't, you know, they would occasionally splash out. But, you know, they, they knew what was important in their lives, right? There was this very strict notion of family. There was this notion of, of, of doing good by your employer, you know, doing right by your co-workers, you know, uh, bringing up your family right, instilling good morals in your children, going to church on a Sunday, you know, uh, doing charity work that's long been killed off. You know, these were considered the highlights and... and, and, and um, uh, like sort of points of good breeding like people actually aspire to this even like um, in the post in the immediate post-war period under the Attlee government as they were building social housing you know people were really um, honored to own a council home you know they it was a privilege to be able to maintain it and look after it and treat it like it was yours to, to keep the the garden in good nick and all the rest of it and as we've seen this this explosion of consumerism and this decline of moral value all that you're left with is this trend setting uh yes. i've got to see this film i've got to own this device i've got to have done this mm. thing before this other person my holiday had to have been better than yours this very sort of objective based i'm you know because <laughs> no one really knows how to climb the social ladder anymore and we everyone's doing yes. it Everyone's doing it. They are climbing a social ladder, but the top of that social ladder leads to not to not to you know the aristocracy of yesterday, not to you know truly gentrified people, but to pop stars and actresses and mm. <laughs> and complete rubbish. You know nothing that benefits no. the society. No, nothing that yeah. benefits society. I mean, if money is is sort of the only key that we have, the only metric that we're going to use. You keep you climb the ladder as somebody that's starting with the the day job, the nine to five, the everyday person, and they're they're always aspiring, always looking up. But I mean, in reality, though, or my or you know my perception of reality is once you get to the top of the ladder, you're only then at that point with the way our society is based, just focusing merely on your own ends and just saying I can spend this money because I can, not because I budgeted it, not because I've I've you know, you've worked for it. If you work for it, fair enough. But it's it's simply I'm spending it, there's a demand, therefore I 
I can, therefore I am. So I see this as being one of the one of the big problems in a lot of conservatism at the moment is there's this big division between those who care more about uh, the welfare of the culture and the nation state over the money and then this sort of hijacking of, of conservative thought by the sort of post-Thatcherite era where globalism m- means money and that's all that really matters. This notion that you can you can win elections and you can convert people to being conservatives by making them richer. Um, and I think it's one of the really interesting things about, about Brexit, irrelevant of the left-wing Brexit voters. It sort of shows the schism in the, in the right wing is between... Uh, the likes of people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who are much more concerned with sort of culture and thought and feeling um, and, and national identity, and people like Anna Soubry, who are much more interested in the economic damage um, from the, the loss of globalisation that this can cause. Um, I, you know, my personal opinion is that the the money is very short term. You know, these. The problems I have with chasing the cash like this sometimes is the money is probably only good in in the short term, particularly for a project like the European Union, where all of the growth in the next century is looking to come from outside of that union. Um, And actually something like our national identity, which is... Is is in it's on life support at the moment, right? Um, as you know, we spoke about earlier, that we've had a huge amount of immigration in, too much to really sort of try and sell our culture to other people, and we don't even really understand it ourselves too much this, these days. I mean, this is the whole reason why we do this podcast, right? Is to try and help understand the ideals of our ancestors and to propagate some of them out. Like, there's a real need for that just within the native population at the moment, let alone you know adding 350,000 people to the population each year and then having a sort of globalist agenda uh, on top so I do sort of air down on the side of national identity it's 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 I don't know if it's a problem of capitalism itself I think it's probably a, a problem of globalization but I I worry that it's pro- I think it's also directly the cause for why these um uh, nationalist movements, these populist movements are popping up all over Europe and for Donald Trump in the United States is people don't want this sort of globalist uh, culture destruction anymore. So I'm, I'm hoping the argument's changing to our side, but I feel like the globalists are going down fighting. I wonder if in the next 50 years the conversation will turn from being left v right to being nationalist versus globalist. I think it's already happened, in fact. I think Brexit, Trump, uh, Le Pen, all of the ele- um, elections in Europe at the moment are very much on those division lines. Um, actually, I would say that probably the one outlier is Brexit, because I do think that uh, there isn't really a strong strain of protectionist thought in this country, or maybe an anti anti-internationalist thought in this country you know while you know trump and le pen were are quite an anti-international organization brexiteers in this country like boris johnson aren't you know they're kind of very pro-internationalist organizations so um i think one of the interesting things that might happen in this country is if someone was able to tap into that feeling that what that you know that that kind of brexit vote um because I think one of the main problems we have in this country at the moment is that no one is successfully tapping into the 
negativity towards the kind of what is kind of the what the left would call the neoliberal system, which encapsulates capitalism in that, but also the political model too. Because um, I think there are a lot of white working class voters in the UK and very much people um, uh, from the countryside on, in, in the suburbs who feel that the economy is um, create. it's not necessarily created, but has become pretty much a machine to create for, for it that creates wealth in a financial system that only works for international uh, employees that work in the international system and not the local system so mm -hmm. we're talking big businesses big banks and then they also see this political class which also it seems it seems to be in bed with the these big media big big banks um, and big international corporations and they just generally feel the feeling of no one is representing their viewpoint um, and actually a lot of people as can be seen by brexit um, what is fascinating is that a lot of people knew that they probably would be worse off with brexit but they happily voted for it knowing that there would be a reduction in immigration and that they would have sovereignty and take back control which i think is fascinating and is proof to people that not everything that's capitalist or free market is always the right way to go or necessarily popular funny enough yeah i think i think you're right actually um just on a point you made earlier that actually uh there's a there is a big niche at the minute and there's actually a real conservative niche not just socially uh, and not just sort of fighting back against the sjw's and that's that's more of the valley thing but just getting back to the economy actually there's there's a real niche just just to have that relationship between the voter the um and the person that they represent but also their employer you know the two biggest influences are who employs you and who represents you at parliament for me and and the, that's sort of the value across the uk and that that niche is really sort of well who is there looking out for me who's got my back and i think that sort of explains sort of the rise of corbyn politics people perceive corbyn to be the one that has their back more so than may and the conservatives do because as we've already discussed the conservatives will say well we'll just leave it to to, to free market economics and just see what happens um whereas they see corbyn as the altruistic sort of i've got your back bro um but that but really if you follow the the, the line of thinking that they really corbyn really does not have your back but that's the niche that he's filling at the moment yeah, I, I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think for a lot of young people, their only view of capitalism has been the 2008 banking crisis. Like, I think that's all they know. Like, they don't, you know, I, I, I think they can't understand that. I, I get the impression that this notion of global, globalism and this, this, this sort of unfettered consumerism um, that's not being in any way constrained anymore by any level of morality whatsoever. That is the only, as far as they're concerned, that is what capitalism means. And someone like Jeremy Corbyn um, and socialism means uh, we're put first and we're looked after against the interests of these enormous companies, which is it's very odd, actually, because it's almost a right-wing view. Um, actually, there are plenty of... of of anti-globalist right-wingers who who dislike these enormous um, these enormous organisations uh, just as much. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> there is an irony that we're I'm saying this as we're we're uploading this podcast to 
YouTube. It's not. <laughs> it's not to say there's no yes. place in the world for these for these people. But when they're when they're able to when they're able to act um, in you know with the with the protectionism afforded by the European Union without sufficient competition and you know when there's absolutely no moral compass engaged, that's when I would say there's now a problem. Um, which is, I think, where I do differ from the left, because I think I think the Corbynites just say the fact that these organisations even exist in the first place uh, is a problem. And I would, in addition, say that conservatives have failed to provide an alternative um, morality and cultural val- set of values in addition to the market. And I think ever since 19, the 1960s, where the cultural left won a big, they effectively won the, the war of that time, the right hasn't been able to find itself, except I would argue Mar- Margaret Thatcher. No one else has been able to encapsulate some sort of conservative values in their policy platform. You know, Margaret Thatcher was very strong about individual morality, that you need to get up and do your job. And conservatism had a very strong idea of what it meant to be a conservative at that time period. But we've kind of lost that. We've cre- we've become very compassionate. Cameron was very much about compassionate conservatism, which is just a uh, um, pandering to say, I'm a conservative and I'm sorry about it type of conservatism. Mm. Um, <laughs> it really is. Which, that is basically what it is. But we have failed to provide a, a set of moral values. And I think that's why Corbyn works. Corbyn is successful because he's created this morality. He's tapped into this virtue signaling type of morality and created this sort of um, culture around him of people who really do think in this internationalist mindset. You know, when the they, they're very pro-Palestine, they're very very pro-IRA. It's this mindset that everyone else that that there's there's this weird um, permutation of kind of Christian charity. It's this idea that you're charitable by getting the state to control everything and give everything to, and redistribute it to everyone. There's this weird morality about it. Um, and obviously the West is imperialistic, blah, 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 that kind of thing. It's this kind of self-sacrifice on the altar of everyone else who isn't a European type of mentality. It's really strange. It's like a white guilt kind of complex. And I think the, the right has allowed this stuff to go on for too long as well as the kind of postmodernist cultural things where everything is just subjective. Um, The right has failed to to provide a moral landscape for its policies to thrive, and that might be individual liberty, it might be um, kind of... uh, um, Actually, I would say that's probably the only thing that could be easily used at this time, which I don't think is necessarily a particularly conservative value, but it's something that's kind of part of conservatism to a degree but there's 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 a lack of um there's a lack of uh moral and cultural values at the heart of the platform and what happens is what the results that results in is policies that are made on the hoof ad hoc that don't really have as 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 mog has said a kind of a golden thread that kind of leads threads its way through all the all of the policies and at the moment we just make policies on the on the on the go and pander to different parts of the electorate that we think we can win over without actually saying we're conservatives so this is what we believe at the moment we have nothing like that at all and i think we really need to stop talking about the, about the market and and deregulating and low taxes as conservatism and focus on some of the other parts too doesn't mean that we won't you know <laughs> argue for lower taxes but it is that we can talk about other things and actually tell people why they should vote conservative other than we'll reduce your council tax yeah i uh 
I, I do agree with that. I think um, I think there is a lot to be said for, for Corbyn's uh, pandering, actually. It used to be uh, right-wing people who would... You know what was the old what was the old uh, adage? You know the left the left talk and the right do or something like that. And, yes, and you yeah. see this uh, you see this a lot with Corbyn. Now he talks about how altruistic he is rather than actually being. I think it's one of the things where mm. the right has lost greatly. Is you know a lot of right wing people used to used to consider it a moral duty if they were above the breadline to be engaging in charity work. Now, engaging in charity work doesn't mean giving, texting Oxfam and giving £2 a month. It means yes. actually getting off your backside and aiding your local community, whether it be uh, homeless charities, whether it be like a canal and river trust thing, whether it just be helping the beautification of communal areas... Whatever, whatever it was, you know, whatever drove people and inspired them, it was, you know, people considered it uh, a duty to sacrifice some of their time for the betterment of their community. And right-wingers used to be really good at that. And it folds into, uh, I think, one of the main reasons why Jordan Peterson is becoming so popular, because he's basically telling people to get off their bum and do stuff and be responsible mm. for stuff, and that what they do matters, and that they can help other people. And... <laughs> That's really starting to resonate with people, right? He's not even really saying much more than that. Um, and, I, and actually, I think the reason why is it's awakening that old spirit in people, which says, get off your bum, go and do something useful, you will feel better for it, your community will feel better for it. And it's, it's not just all about that libertarian ideal where the more you spend, the more everyone benefits. And then actually, you can really, you can really repair and enhance your soul by, by getting out and doing. Still make them feel and we still make them flee and draw them on shore as we draw them at sea then cheer up and as within one heart let us sing Oh soldiers, oh sailors, oh statesmen and king part of all our ships, John 